Welcome to the Assembly at Heckfield Place podcast. I'm Lucy Hislop, curator of this eclectic programme of year-round events. A gentle Georgian home in Hampshire with 430 acres of woodland, lakes and gardens, Heckfield has always been a place to bring interesting and interested people together. Continuing this legacy, the Assembly calls on curious minds with a focus on looking forward and on our relationship with nature. Each episode features an edited conversation with our guests. As part of our Value of Fashion Month, we delve into just how you leave Vogue after 25 years at the helm. Former editor-in-chief Alexandra Schulman and editor-at-large Fiona Golfer talk with Cathy St. Germans, the fashion writer and co-founder of Port Elliot Festival, about waking up excited every day and not having a rigid schedule. Good evening, everyone. Um, so tonight, we're going to talk about life lessons. We're going to talk about those moments in your life when the ground shifts, the floor tilts, and you think, I want something else. And we're going to talk about what that something else is. And we're going to look at really how um, the fear and the freedom can affect you when you walk away. So. For 25 years, Alex Shulman has presided over British Vogue, the most important fashion title in the world. And she took it from um, the biggest circulation increase that had been, ever been seen. And then one day she decided to leave. And we're going to look at that and that moment. And this is Fiona Golfer, who was Alex's editor-at-large and we're going to also examine what that means. And basically, she was her hunter-gatherer. And we're going to look at their roles together. So we decided we would start at the beginning, really, because I think this is a story that needs some chronology. And when you first met, if you can remember that, Alex. Well, Fiona, I first saw Fiona, a, a very vivid memory of, of seeing Fiona, which was um, in Kensington Park Road in London. She was walking down the road with an enormous dog, long blonde hair, and my memory is a pair of kind of denim dungarees on. And just thinking how wonderful she looked, actually. I didn't know who she was. She was just walking down the road. And then uh, I went into a restaurant, and I think a, a bit later she came into the restaurant and somebody introduced me to her. And end of story. That was remembered the girl with the dog in the dungarees and um, and then at some point later she became my brother's girlfriend um, which uh, seemed rather wonderful and I thought well lucky Jason he lucked out there and uh, that's how I how I knew Fiona and then when I came to Vogue and I, I, I we knew each other but we weren't like great mates or anything and um, I suddenly had uh, had an idea that she would be a good person to bring into the team because she wasn't working sort of full-time somewhere at that point and I knew that Fiona was very gregarious and she knew a lot of people and she was very um, sort of keen on being out there and something that actually I'm much more reserved person than that so I sort of thought I could have a kind of an avatar in a way um second life send her out there to be the person that I wasn't um 
And so I suggested she came and work for Vogue and on a kind of part-time basis as editor-at-large, which was to basically live the life she led and come back with ideas for people or sort of social observation pieces. And that was sort of 24 years, wasn't it? It was we terrifying. Kept, kept going. <laughs> it was such a terrifying moment because I was a makeup artist actually because I'd left school very young and I had not a no level or a qualification to my name. And my dad had said he wasn't going to um, support somebody who wasn't going to be educated. And so I had to learn a trade, bricklaying, whatever. And um, so I learned, I'd been around Fashion World a little bit and I'd met um, all the, I, I like the people that I've met. And I asked a woman a makeup artist that I'd met, if I could be her assistant. So I became a not very good makeup artist. And when I did meet Alex and her family, who you, you meet one, you meet all in, in the Shulman family. So her family was fantastic to me. But I'd never met people like this before, journalists who kind of talked about ideas and everything was sort of, I later learned like a features meeting in a magazine. They'd talk about all the things that were going on, kind of currently, very different to my family, who mainly gossiped about family, friends. and. Um, and I was actually, I was showing my makeup portfolio in Vogue just after Alex had been made the editor. I knew I wasn't going to get a job at Vogue, but they'd kindly given me a sort of appointment. And coming down the corridor, I ran into Alex and I said, oh my God, let me see your office. You know, you're the editor of Vogue. It must be amazing. So we went in and she showed me all the pictures on the wall of, it was Bono and Christy Turlington were going to be the, the cover stars. And the, and I said, I don't ever want to put lipstick on another model. Can I come here and make coffee? And Alex said, well, I don't think you can make coffee. And I thought, oh, God, I've really overstepped it. And she said, maybe I'll make you an editor and you can come in and see. And I nearly, f I thought my head was going to blow off, actually. I was so um, excited and frightened. So she really took a kind of amazing risk on somebody who knew nothing and let me learn on the, on the job and make a lot of mistakes on the job. So that was sort of my memory of how it was. When you, when you were made editor, it was a surprise, wasn't it, within the industry? I mean, at that point, Vogue was this absolutely kind of biblical... Um, it, it had a kind of um, almost a kind of arcane um, kind of attitude in some ways. Um, I know as a, as a fashion student, you kind of slightly flip past Vogue um, at one point, and um, it, it had... It, it, it had been somewhere that um, there were other magazines in the marketplace like Elle and so on that had come, 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 up, come up beside it. And, um, and you, you weren't an, a natural or obvious um, editor of Vogue in, in some ways because you didn't have a, a background per se in fashion. But you became this sort of extraordinary um, um, editor that, that really changed that publication. And... Why, why, what was it about the magazine that made you actually want to apply for the job and actually take it on at that point? Well, I can't see how old everyone is in the audience, but you have to cast your mind back to 1992 um, and what was happening then. And I was editing GQ magazine, which had relatively recently launched in the country, um, which is the same company as, as Vogue. And... Um, when my predecessor at Vogue left, Liz Tilberis, she left to go to relaunch Harper's Bazaar in, in the States. Um, there had already 
begun within the company to be questions about what Vogue should be because uh, one, the country was going into quite a deep recession and the kind of advertising money that had been seen as sort of Vogue's right and only Vogue's right to have really in terms of sort of fashion industry advertising was slightly to the company's horror also being shared amongst sort of new publications that were out and, and you mentioned Elle but Marie Claire had been launched and was a, a tremendous success and nobody sort of within the sort of purest fashion industry that Vogue represented had thought that a magazine that kind of balanced the sort of titillating articles that um, Marie Claire did, which is kind of I slept with my boyfriend's father or kind of story, um, uh, would be seen as palatable to Chanel or Giorgio Armani. But in fact, because the magazine was doing so well, they, they were actually following the figures. And also the newspaper industry, um, despite the fact it was a recession, was actually expanding, and particularly in the soft level. So more and more supplements, um, fashion supplements, uh, colour supplements, lifestyle supplements. And so sort of the powers that be at Condé Nast thought, well, since, I mean, Liz left of her, her own volition, but having had the opportunity to sort of recast who is doing it, they felt that somebody who was more interested in a broader world than just fashion probably was the kind of person they, they wanted. I mean, it, it didn't have to be me. It could have been somebody else. Um, and indeed, uh, it really could have been somebody else because it was offered to a million people before I actually got it, and they all turned it down. <laughs> um, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Susie Menkes was offered it, who was on the Herald Tribune. She turned it down. Sally Brampton, who'd just left um, Elle, was offered it. She turned it down. And so it kind of luckily kind of came to, came to me. Do you, know, do, you, do you ever talk to them about why they turned it down? No, actually, I, don't, I, I didn't. Um, I, no, but I mean, I can imagine why either of them turned it down, actually. I mean, Sally Brampton had launched Elle and she'd given up Elle relatively right. recently because yeah. she didn't want to be a magazine editor and she didn't want all the hassle of running a magazine. And Susie Menkes had relatively recently gone to the Herald Tribune where she was a reporter, fashion mm. reporter, which was what she really wanted yeah. to do rather than, again, do yeah. all the kind of yeah. dog's body admin yeah. of editing. How do you think you made it your magazine? What were the defining things that you... Can you look back to that point then and think, what was... What, here I am, I'm now editor of Vogue, I can do what I want yeah. with this magazine. Never seemed like that, actually. Never Didn't felt it? like, what? here I am, I can do what I want. <laughs> um, it was uh, very much an evolution. Uh, I was kind of fine feeling my way. And when I look back, because I've got all the Vogue's, and I look back at them, I can kind of see the points at which it kind of changed. But essentially, I wanted to make sure it had clothes that were more appealing to sort of every woman, um, both in terms of style and price points. Um, I wanted to have the high street really recognised in it, which it wasn't. Mm -hmm. I wanted to have much more writing about fashion mm -hmm. and clothes, actually. Clothes mm -hmm. rather than fashion. Much more mm -hmm. writing about the way, why we choose to dress the way we do, um, how clothes make us feel, how clothes are part of our identity. So instead yeah. of it all being about interviews with a designer, say, 
I sort of parachuted a whole lot of almost interviews with the reader to some extent. And I remember also there was a sort of more of that element of Angela Carter, of that kind of appreciation of fashion in a different sense, or of looking at it in a literary sense, which I think... Yeah, some... There had been a, some of that, yeah. always quite at a very sort of highbrow level, mm. um, like Marina Warner was, mm -hmm. you know, features editor there, and indeed Angela Carter um, contributed. Um, mine was much more kind of middle market, I think. I've got a very kind of mainstream mentality and that was one of the reasons I think people didn't think that necessarily that I would get the job because I I am sort of the woman on the Clapham omnibus. <laughs> one of the things that we've I mean I did more shoots when I was at Vogue for Alex which were I did I shot a lot of those real talk about bringing my world to the magazine but my my remit was to find those women and so I did more stories we used to say you know seven women jump out of a window together because I was always shooting, mean? well, seven women, how you dress from for day, for night, seven women, what's in your wardrobe, seven women, what do you find on the high street to my street? We just, we just... And because I'd given her this job, she had to do it. Nobody I had to do everything. I was told no one, stories. none of the fashion people wanted to do these <laughs> stories because they wanted to be out making amazing fashion shoots. So I was always so trying to find the two yeah. women had to dress, you know, one dress two ways. It was endlessly those sort of stories. The fashion department were horrified. They didn't want to go near it. So I was always saying, I just need anybody, you know, a woman who, mm. you know, I was endless. I was picking up women in the street. I'd pick up women at the... I mean, Alex always teasing me about how often I go to the hairdresser. But half the women <laughs> I found, I was saying, why don't you have a picture taken? Because you see all these incredible, stylish women wearing clothes in interesting ways. And you think, what do you do? And why are you here? And what's your job? And you're a lawyer. How do you dress when you go to... What, what do you wear under your robes? If you're... It was a lot of those kind of stories that um and not that we want to dwell too much on the time that they were both at vogue which may i say i think it's approaching 51 years between you is that right <laughs> <laughs> what you said earlier so you know it's a kind of considerable thank you kathy so it's a sort of it's a kind of there's a, there's a sort of fair amount of, of, of um potential discussion there but um what was your day then? I mean, I, I know there was also a point where you, I think you were both pregnant at the same time, or I think virtually everyone in the office was pregnant, but I want to kind of get a sense of what your day was, um, was like then. Well, we had very different days. Um, do you want to start with your day, no, Alex, the hairdresser? <laughs> Alex was always in the office, and I used to say she had to put on one of those sort of, you know, ankle bracelets on me, tag me to find me, because everyone was always saying, where are you? And I'd be saying, I'm out finding stories. I was, I didn't love being in the office, and I never had a great idea in the office. So I would go to the office if there were meetings that we had. We had very regular meetings. And, but the where are you was always quite a big question. I mean, if I'd been really AWOL and not brought any stories, it probably would have been a bigger where are you. But my job was to be out and, and seeing what was going on in the world. And Alex's job, which is a, a fantastic job to be editor of, of Vogue. But I actually like being out, actually out there, finding it. And I would bring it back to the mothership, the stories, which is what we all did. Alex was, 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 the, was the one who got to commission out all these stories, but we had sometimes, I think, the fun of going out and actually doing them and shooting them and writing the pieces. And yeah, whereas so I was always days. at my desk. So I... Um, Went in every morning, I talked with my assistant, went through the mail, um, sort of organised the day, 
we had lots of regular meetings. So every Tuesday there was a fashion meeting, every Thursday there was a features meeting, every Friday there was a budget meeting and then other kind of things. But most of the time, if I wasn't at the shows, um, I, I was in my office um, talking to people about the magazine or wandering around the office looking at layouts or whatever. I was very um, oddly tied to being within the office and I think sort of have always had a kind of, uh, don't know where it came from, but a feeling that if I wasn't in the office, I wasn't working and always very kind of had that kind of sort of guilt feeling, even if I was working, um, didn't feel but like working properly. You could properly. be doing yeah. So there was always that sense that... Yeah. And how did you both... Um, we talked about the other day briefly, but could we talk about it a bit more now? How you both um, managed when you both um, had your children and how it was slightly different then, wasn't it? I mean, this is um, uh, 20... The last well, 15 20... It was 95. 23 years ago. The had, attitude yeah. to, to women... Um, in the workplace was different, the attitude to women um, raising children while still in the workplace and also n not to mention being in a position like yours. Can you talk a little bit about that, a bit, about how you, I think it's interesting for people well, to... Well, I think people again have very different kind of personal experiences of it. I mean, um, I was full-time, Fiona wasn't full-time, so that in itself is, is a big difference. So. Um, but I was brought up by a mother who had worked relentlessly. I mean, and, um, you know, we, I, I had 16 weeks um, maternity leave, which at the time was regarded as kind of borderline self-indulgent. Um, <laughs> people did not take, in my kind of job, it would be more like to be six, seven weeks or something, really. But my mum had had no time off when she had us. I mean, she remembers lying in the, you know, Queen Charlotte's where she had us, you know, with a typewriter on her stomach, typing sort of two days after having, having the baby. So to me, I, I always felt like, you know, it, I was quite lucky and I took quite a long time off to... Um, I only had one child. And um, I wanted to spend sort of every second of that time getting to know him. And so I knew when I went back to work, because I knew I'd have to have a full-time nanny and everything, that I felt confident enough to look after him. But overall, from, from the moment, not the moment he was born, but the moment I went back to work to even now, um, or when I left, um, that actually having a child really enabled me to carry on doing the job because it was so wonderful having this other thing that was so engrossing and so encompassing and something that put any niggling problem at work into a complete perspective. And I often think that had I not had Sam, I would never have stayed at Vogue for that long because in a way, staying at Vogue enabled me to bring up my son because I was pretty well a single mother and financially responsible for him and everything and so there was a you know real kind of reason to be yeah to be doing it yeah. you I had a slightly different experience I think yes I had 
Well, I was thinking there was a time where there were so many of us who just had babies that we'd all be kind of expressing in the loose at work. Not, me. Not Alex, <laughs> but there were others of us. Sometimes I always thought as well that for Alex, who was an incredibly responsible editor and very serious about her job, but the rest of us got to be more playful. In a way, mm -hmm. so we could be kind of, you know, gathered in the loo expressing and, and, and that sort of playfulness that Alex kept, you know, there was there were boundaries and, and that sort of, but... Um, I cannot think of anything I want to we'll do, do less, less than yes, expressing we'll be laughing, with everyone not Alex's look. idea of a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> As I say it, I'm thinking the horror you must be feeling. Um, but, no, we all thought it was very amusing. And, um, but, yeah, it was... It was we, I think we were all in it together, but that thing of three months, you know, we had, you know, in a, I think it was because women were also really beginning to, you know, there was all this thing about women empowerment and women in the workplace and you can do anything and, you know, but you also have to do everything. So you had to be a mother and you had to be working. And I was lucky I wasn't full time, but I, for me, actually having, I think I would have been a much I wouldn't have been as good a mother if I hadn't had a, a, a job to go to. I think it really gave me a purpose. And I had a huge amount of support because I wasn't a single mother. And I had a husband who was brilliant with babies. So I was very lucky in that way. But, I mean, there was also that, um, you know, what do you do when you've got kids and, you know, it's Christmas and there are 16, you know, you're meant to go to the ballet recital, the music recital thing, and you're trying to build a career and they want... And I remember going into Alex with this list from my kids' school saying, you know, there's a carol service and there's a ballet thing and there's a music thing. And Alex just looked and she said, pick two. Because work, if you want to work and you want to have children, you've got to work. And that was, I think, a big part of it. And I remember thinking it's, that was tough, but it was incredibly fair. That was, that was how it was. Mm -hmm. You know, we worked. God, we worked. <laughs> <laughs> so there you were in your office in Hanover Square and... Um, at the helm of this, this fantastic magazine with loyal readers mm. and staff and um, one of the best jobs in journalism and a greatly admired journalist, I might say. And wh what point did you think, OK, I want something else now? How did that... If you could start to describe how that, that shift well, I mean, if you think 25 years is an incredibly long time, the real question is, why didn't I think it earlier? <laughs> um, and that's a question now I'm asking myself a lot, um, actually. Um, but uh, Vogue had a, a hundredth a centenary um, celebration in 2016, and it was a sort of a whole year of of wonderful activities that we had. And we had an exhibition at National Portrait Gallery, which was a fa really fantastic exhibition. And we did a big Vogue festival, and there was a gala dinner, and lots of kind of um, uh, retail activity in shop windows, and a kind of special uh, centenary edition. And about two years before that, I knew that as editor, it was my job to kind of create a really successful centenary. And either I had to um, stay and do that, mm -hmm. um, or I should leave then so that somebody else could take get, over and get do all it. the glory. And, yeah, so I thought, well, I'm not leaving. Yeah. I'm not going to have somebody <laughs> else get all, someone else <laughs> all the glory of the centenary year. Um, that would be mad. Um, so I had started to think about leaving, but then kept myself 
there. Um, and in fact, the centenary year was probably absolutely the most enjoyable year I had there. It was unbelievably exciting and rewarding and, and fantastic. And um, after it, I thought, well, actually, you know, I love Vogue. It's all going so well and everything. And um, I hadn't particularly wanted to, to leave at all. But I did have a kind of sense that I needed something different in my life. Uh, my son would by that time got to be, I think, sort of 21, and um, just wanted to... So I rented a little flat by the sea, and um, I thought, well, it'd be nice to see what it's like to, you know, wake up in the morning and see the sea outside and wander around the beach and be somewhere different to my, to uh, my normal about? life in Aldborough, in Suffolk. Um, and I started to really love going there, and felt very um, confident being out of... I mean, it was a very basic flat. It was like a kind of B&B &B place, really. You know, didn't have any of my furniture or, or anything there. And, and I think the fact that I realised that I was very happy there and didn't need, in order to make myself happy, any of the kind of trappings of what my life actually was, um, somehow kind of got into my brain and I just woke up one morning and I thought, you know, if you want to have a future, you have to leave Vogue. Um, you've had a wonderful past, but if you don't leave, you won't have a future and, and the future's what's exciting. And it was just like an absolutely clear, you know, one of those kind of light bulb moment decisions. And from that, that second, I was just unbelievably excited about the idea that that I could leave because I'd, I'd always found it impossible to contemplate leaving before. I'd sort of felt far too nervous. How would I financially survive? What would I do? Would anybody want me? Uh, who would I... Not so much who would I be, but what kind of person would I want to be? It's so hard that's to the leave. answer. It's hard, it's hard to leave. It's like the mothership. So like a, a, a lot of times in your career you build up to getting somewhere and then you get there and vogue to a lot of people and journalists it was where you got to and so it's like then what it's mm -hmm. it's almost inconceivable mm -hmm. you want to leave but you don't know why and I mean I want I want to leave every um, 10 minutes but um, um it, did she did she I'd often go I in should think about three times a year she'd come really? in so she uh, wanted really? to leave and Alex would push a, push a box of tissues towards me <laughs> say yes yes Tempted to say, like, why don't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why didn't you? Because our relationship was just so close. Um, <laughs> because I didn't want her to leave, no. actually. And um, <coughs> because, yes, I can absolutely see that it has that sense of the mothership. I mean, it is, it is the, it is the um, it kind of almost sort of semi-institution as well. Mm. And I guess once you've been there for that long, too, the thought of kind of stepping outside of that. You, you mentioned yeah, the, traffic, I think if the trappings. You, if you're, but if you're at Vogue um, and... Uh, if you're at Vogue working in either of the ways we were, there aren't really any other magazines that would be a better place to go. And, of course, um, towards the industry was also changing quite a lot. So there were becoming fewer places where you could be doing the same thing with the same kind of level of funding, attention to detail, mm -hmm. um, respect, and, mm -hmm. and sort of doing it really properly. So if you wanted to do what we were doing, there wasn't really anywhere else much, much to go. So you, to leave, you sort of had to want to do something mm. completely different, I think. 
And at that point, when you woke up that morning in Oldborough, and, and then uh, how did who did you tell, or how kind of can, maybe you could talk us through the sort of the the, the, the journey of that? Um, well, no, I can't talk you through it because <laughs> I can't remember it. Okay. Um, okay. I must Blank. have told David, who I live with, um, yeah. and I think he was absolutely sort of, why would you want to do that? And you but know, he's also a journalist. Isn't he's he? also a journalist, but he said, you know, you love your job and you're really good at it, and you. You earn a very good salary and you know what why why would you want to do that and I was like no no I really I really do want to do it and I had this old Carly Simon song that called alone that started to go off round and round and repeat on my head which goes something like my going has nothing to do with you I'm just taking a trip all alone and that's how I felt about it, it had nothing to do with Vogue right. it's just that I wanted to take the trip alone, to do something else alone. And um, so I told him, and then I didn't tell anybody else because um, I thought, I wanted to give myself enough time to check that I wasn't going to change my mind. And we also had um, annual salary <coughs> reviews. Um, and mine was in December, and I'd made up my mind I wanted to leave in October. So I thought I'll give myself to, to the review. Uh, and then, <laughs> then when it was the day, I had the most terrible cold. I had one of those awful head colds when you can scarcely speak and you know your nose is running and your eyes are all red. And I hadn't slept all night. I'd been in Paris the night before. <coughs> I had to go in to my boss and tell him that I was leaving. And um, that was a, a, a frazzling moment. Yeah. Did you have any... Sort of inkling, any suspicion? Not as frazzling a moment as it was when she told me. <laughs> um, we'd been somewhere, I can't remember where we'd been a few months before this happened, and I remember walking back to the office with you and saying, because there are always rumours, you know, Alex Shulman's leaving Vogue, everybody's yeah, leaving Vogue, and that, they'd call me and I'd say, she's just not, she's not. And then I thought, is she? Maybe? Oh. And we were walking back from somewhere and I said, if you're going to leave, <coughs> you cannot tell me in a room full of people touching a glass of white wine, because I'll collapse on the floor. Because we had a French, we worked together, but we were friends outside, and we'd learnt over the years how to kind of manage that. You know, in the office I worked for Alex, at home I could torture her, but it was a very, it was a very kind of a professional friendship mm -hmm. that we'd mm -hmm. worked out, and so I really didn't feel I could have, I'm much more, I'm a very emotional person, and I think I just couldn't have taken it. So we walked back, and then we went, to a fashion talk, I went to watch you speak somewhere and we went out for dinner afterwards and um, Alex said, I've, I remember lifting a fork to put something in my mouth and Alex said, I'm, I've just got to tell you, I'm, I, I am leaving. And the room literally tilted, I mean, I just, the room tilted and I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do without her? I mean, I'm so kind of attached, I'm, much more, I'm a very needy person. And I've got two pillars in my life, my husband and Alex. And, and I'd always been very comfortable. You know, I, I report back to him and I report back to her. And, <laughs> and, and that's the way it's always been. And so when she, she, it was like somebody literally knocked the pillar down and the, the whole thing lurched. And, and I immediately knew in that moment that she said she was going that I'd go to. That there was, no, there was no vogue for me without the person that I'd worked so well with for so long. So, yeah, that was a moment. Thanks. <coughs> <laughs> and so, so you, so, so 
then what happened, Alex? So you told you told. Um... Well, then I resigned. Yeah. And um, agreed that I'd stay six months while they found somebody to take over. And um, I think actually one thing, you know, one life lesson I've learned from that experience is don't stay six months if you're going to leave something. Leave, really? leave sooner. Um, because as soon, uh, it took, for, for one reason or another, my company didn't want me to tell the staff that I was leaving for another five weeks, I think. It was quite a long time. And um, I didn't like being in that position. And then um, once the news was out, there was a, you know, it was a lovely day in a way when the news was out, kind of everyone yeah. was paying attention and most people were very nice and this, that and the other. And then, you know, as soon as that's over, basically the king is dead, long live the king, except they yeah. didn't know who the king was going to be. But, um, and so you are sort of sitting there in a bit of a kind of placeholder situation, mm. which, which I did know would, I mean, I wasn't unaware that that yeah. would, have, would have happened, but I think six months is too long, particularly when they appoint somebody actually after three months, because then you are in a difficult position whereby there is somebody who is going to come in and you're still sitting there doing your, your stuff and that's obviously going to you know, create problems. So I, would, I, I think I would say now, you know, if you, if you can go within three months, it's probably better. Yeah. yeah. Although it was very nice for me because I had six months to kind of get myself psyched up and organised to actually leave. And and Fiona, then, so then you you because you, you you I mean I think it was very brave what you did because you um, Alex had made this um, equally brave but decision on her own and then you then had to um, decide what you were, what you how you mm. were going to handle it and and Fiona. Um, uh, decided to go, um, and, and I, I think it was a kind of it was an elegant move. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, but there is, you know, there's truth in that. I mean, I think it was the king is dead, long live the king. And I think I have worked, and I was known to work very closely and very well with Alex. Mm -hmm. And I think that when Alex came in, she really to the magazine all those years ago. She she made a lot of. Um, instinctive decisions about the people she put around her and that she knew would you know Alex gave me an opportunity so I, I I rewarded that with being prepared to you know I'd lie down in the traffic for Alex professionally professionally but <laughs> but I, and I just knew that that wasn't going to whoever it was whether it was somebody mm. who I'd worked with or somebody mm -hmm. who I didn't know whoever was going to come in I knew that the chances of making those kind of relationships again were very slim and also I'd I had been, you know, three times a year I'd go in crying, but I, I did know it was time to go and it was incredibly hard. I've never left anything. I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've written about this. I've never left a husband. I've never left, I've lived in the same house all these years. I've never even left a boyfriend. They always left me. You know, I, I just, I, I'm not a leaver. And so I didn't. And then I went to see a therapist and I said, you know, there's this, Thing and my boss, who I work very closely with, she's leaving, and I don't know whether to stay or whether to go, and I've just got to make up my mind. I kind of knew, and she said, tell me how you feel about staying, and I did, and she said, tell me how you feel about leaving, and I did, and she said, now let me describe what your body did as you described this. And when I talked about leaving, I sat forward, and I talked about staying, I sort of slumped down in the chair, and I got up from the therapist's uh, 
sofa and I went downstairs and I phoned Alex from the doorstep and I resigned. And it, I never doubted that decision. I, I kind of, I never doubted it. I, mean, I was terrified afterwards because I jumped without knowing where I was going. I hadn't got a plan and I didn't know what, well, I don't think you had a no. plan much either, did you say? So there we were, floating. But I think one of the things I've noticed about leaving and, you know, my staff who I work with, who um, I felt very loyal to, and of course, you know, you do have a feeling that you are abandoning people in a way when you, yeah. um, as their boss, decide to leave. But one of the things I've realised is there's all the difference in the world between you making the decision that you're going to leave just because it's the right time to you, for you than making the decision you're going to leave because somebody else has put you in a position where, you know, the ground has yeah. shifted yeah. or indeed where you lose your job because mm. you're made redundant or well, I mean, it was, we was it was your decision. It was my reaction yeah. to your decision. And I think for a lot of us, at Vogue, we had to react to, to, react to exactly. your decision. So and whereas was I was able to be proactive. Yeah. And I think that's a big difference when yeah. you're making changes. Yeah. In, yeah. In, if you've actually got the whole initiative, <coughs> it's so much easier. Because I was one of many saying, what about me? I, I think that is normal. I think when somebody, when Alex left, I, I would say that all of us, every single member of her staff went, what happens to me? Because that's your natural, you know, do we stay and wait to see if the new person is going to like us, want to keep us, fire us, hate us, whatever. You're open to such, um, you're really exposed. And people, I could, uh, people were frightened. People were, very People were very frightened. It was a very unusual and um, difficult atmosphere. And um, so then at that point, um, maybe now you could, you, could, you could talk about your day now <laughs> and, that sense of, um, and that sense of freedom, yes, of having course. gone through that trauma. Um, yeah. What's the other, other side? Well, I... I'd always worked in an office, so I left university at, I guess, I was 22 or 23, and I immediately got a job as a temp, um, temping in different offices, and I don't think I ever had, bar, I think there was a three-week period when I was fired from one job and I didn't get another even temping job. I'd never not been in an office every mm -hmm. day, all mm -hmm. day, um, until I was 50 nine or whatever I was when I left, or 58, I can't remember which now, 59. Um, and um, so that's a long time, you know, to be kind of institutionalised mm. and to absolutely your, your identity being that you go somewhere first thing in the morning and you do your job and you come back and you're, you know, you're, you're paid literally for turning up at the office or for being part of something. And so I did leave with absolutely no idea um, of what I was going really? to do. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that does seem foolish in retrospect, <laughs> but um, I knew if I waited to find something to do, I'd never, mm -hmm. that, that could have taken mm -hmm. forever. So it took so. A, obviously a certain amount of confidence in the fact that you would find something. Yes. And that you knew, um, and also maybe you, you needed to give yourself time to find what that was going to be outside once you'd actually well, left the office. Well, yeah, it's odd when you say that, because now I'm sitting here on this, platform actually it sort of suddenly brought home to me that I really didn't know what I was going to do and I'm surprised that I um, 
left with such kind of insecurity. But I guess I did think that um, I could probably write a book or, um, or, um. Open uh, um, <laughs> and anyway, uh, so to start off with, uh, I did, um, I just loved the fact that I wasn't going into an office and it was the summer anyway and I'd got quite a lot of holiday planned and everything and then I, um, I've done a, a sort of wonderful mixture of things. So I've done um, some bits of consultancy, some bits of journalism, um, quite a lot of kind of speaking. I've been to places I would never have been to, like I went to Sharjah in the uh, United Arab Emirates this time last year to go to a book fair, which was fascinating. I've um, been working with Fiona on a, on a project, but... Um, I I loved the idea of not having a kind of a rigid schedule and I've never had that experience before. So I still wake up excited every day by by the fact that I I don't have that. And I think the only thing I, I do find difficult is is a letting myself not do something mm -hmm. and letting my saying it's okay not to work today. Mm -hmm. I find that uh, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm a fraud and I have to find something that I can term as work in order to to justify my my day i loved it um, a few weeks ago you got on a train and went to yorkshire <laughs> yes well i the day before that i had had one of those days when i hadn't got any work to do and i hadn't done any work and actually i got a bit kind of gloomy so i thought the next day when i didn't have any work to do i thought i'm not going to do that again so what can i do that's um you know, that's really special. Naturally, I'd wanted to go to Sussex. I'd wanted to go and see Charleston, which I'd never seen or been to, uh, the Bloomsbury mm -hmm. group house. Mm -hmm. um, but that was closed, so I decided to go to the Wakefield, to the Barbara Hepworth um, gallery there I for just the day, that. which was lovely. Yes, I was terribly pleased with myself. <laughs> I love that image of Alex getting on the train and going to Yorkshire with her novel. With a packed lunch. Yeah. With a, in a little to box. To see a... An exhibition, an exhibition that you and then come back on the same day. Yeah, just because you could. Yeah, exactly, just because I could. And one of the best days actually was last <laughs> autumn. I went to Kew just on a Friday afternoon suddenly because I realised it was going to be the last weekend that the trees would still be right. autumnal and everything, yeah. and I could just go and do that. So those kind of things are just wonderful. And mm. um, B. So you, no, you're, it wasn't that easy. <laughs> <laughs> it was nowhere near as fun. I started you, off quite euphoric when yeah. I left. I think there's an adrenaline in, in making a decision like that. And, um, and then, I mean, for those of you who knew, it was a very brutal summer for any of us who'd worked at Vogue last year because hashtag new Vogue had come in and suddenly we were all very out of fashion indeed and and there's nothing to press like more than a bit of a kind of so it's very difficult for me to see people i'd work with being kind of attacked and i felt very protective and very very upset by it so that's what happened to the adrenaline and the euphoria and i was very i was very it was a difficult year it was a really difficult year kind of trying to find out who I was because I knew I couldn't stop working and I wasn't about to stop working but 
you know, taking that breath about what I really did want to do. And the other thing is that I, I did a lot of writing for Vogue and, and I was doing journalism through the year and, and I was having to find out what my voice was, not just the voice that I wrote for Vogue in. Vogue mm -hmm. had a very particular reader and we, we spoke to them in a very particular way and that might not mm -hmm. have been what I wanted to do. And so kind of trying to find out what I was interested in, you know, what do you want to be when you're growing up? It was a bit like that. And actually I found that the things that I want to do. I'm lucky I've got, I live part of the time in Cornwall, as do you. And um, I spent a lot of time there on my own, actually. And I'm not very good at being on my own. And I, one of the things that Alex and I did, I really miss the camaraderie of the office. I really miss going in, sitting on people's desks, eating their sweets. Shall we go for lunch? Irritating everybody generally. That's my nature. And I would kind of wander around the office chatting to very busy people, but that, that's how I operate, whereas Alex would be in her office. And so I missed, I really missed that. I missed <clears throat> my, my, my kind of office life, my office friends, although most of them ended up not being in that office anymore. But um, I realised, it, it probably took me a year to settle and not be as distressed as I became. And I found that I wanted to use the voice that I have, <coughs> such as it is, in a different way, which is why Alex and I are working on different kinds of projects, and they're not journalistic projects. And and I feel I feel very excited to be out. But yeah, definitely it wasn't. I'm just going to walk through and look at the lovely trees, and I was absolutely shit scared. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it, in a way? Because in a way, um, Alex and in your working life, you, you were the person who kind of um, responded to the structure. And in a way, it seems like you, you're now responding even more to a sort of not having that so much, that sense of structure and kind of really embracing Well, again, embracing I, I, the, I come the... back to the fact that it was 25 years. It was a very, mm. very long time. I mean, I remember standing the day before I resigned. I stood by the window and I was in the Ritz Hotel in Paris because I was mm. there for Chanel the day with the heavy cold. And... Um, I remember thinking 25 years ago, my son wasn't even born. And I spent 25 years doing the same job, going into the same building every day of my life. And in that period of time, a person has been born and has mm -hmm. learned, has become sentient, has learned mm -hmm. what people are, how to breathe, how to speak, mm -hmm. how to read, yeah. you know, has become so much has happened in 25 mm -hmm. years. And I've been sitting at the same desk for 25 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, so I think once you, once you, feel mm. like that, yeah. you know, then you do, you know, the liberation is something that is, is very compelling. But I think also um, it's all a question of identity as well. And I was always very lucky that my identity was not really bound up in being the editor of Vogue. I mean, hence the fact that people kept saying, you know, you don't look like you're the editor of Vogue. Um, I mean, the point is that I was editor of Vogue for 25 years, so I clearly was the editor of Vogue, whatever <laughs> I looked like. Um, but uh, I never felt that, that that job defined me and that I had a whole life that was nothing to do with that. And therefore, I think that was also enabled me to feel very sort of at home with myself when, when I didn't have the, the mantle of mm -hmm. that title and, and that role. But, I mean, for anyone who makes a decision to walk away from a, a job that they've been doing, at, for, for whatever time, I mean, if their sort of identity has become very bound up in that existence, 
I think it can be it can be difficult for people to find their, you know, the, the what am I now? Who am I now? I remember when um, one day I was leave when I was leaving in the period and I was driving to work and the phone went in the car and I flipped on it, it was Philip Green, and. Um, Philip was saying, you know, how are you or something, and then ranting about something or other. And then he said, so when are you going? And I said, well, soon. He said, well, you better ring everyone up now because no one will take your calls once you've gone. <laughs> <laughs> that was a sort of lovely moment. Thanks, Philip. Actually, I was sitting in a restaurant. It wasn't with you, Scott, but I was sitting in a restaurant about a month after I left, and there was a... A, a gallerist who was always unbelievably, that's the thing, people are unbelievably nice to you and you're, you're a fool if you think it's because they like you so much a lot of the time. But he's always been unbelievably nice to me and you know we kind of worked together a bit on things. And we, I was sitting with my husband and some friends and he came over to the table and he knew the other people and he said hello to everybody and then finally he got to me and he just looked at me and he said, life must be very different for you now. I was like, not so much. But it was amazing, as if you've fallen off the edge of a planet because you're not, you know, you haven't got Vogue behind you. I remember years ago being on a job for... I was doing something in Paris. We were shooting the couture from... Um, and we were shooting the, the, the people who bought couture and the kind of people and the designers and all sorts of people, kind of portfolio we were doing. And um, Karl Lagerfeld was having a dinner, and I've never been to a Chanel dinner in my entire career because I didn't really work on the fashion side of things. And I wanted to get to this dinner to be able to photograph for this project and I couldn't get to it. And I was talking to my husband on the phone and I said, oh, God, I was having this dinner and I can't get there and I can't get an invitation. I'm going to see. And my husband said, listen to me, you've got two children, two dogs, a cat and a tortoise. That's your reality. <laughs> right? And that's all you need to know. And that has stuck with me for my entire career. I've got two children, two dogs, a cat and a tortoise. I don't need more. I'm fine. You know, I don't need Karl Lagerfeld or his dinner. Can you imagine what they're eating? But, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it's not something you come away necessarily longing for, all of that. Uh, I just want to say thank you so much to both of you for um, a very interesting and I hope um, a discussion that if you're thinking about um, making a change in your life. It will have given you some um, lessons of how you might be able to do that. And, um, and also two great role models um, and real imp imp important figures in British journalism. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank That was an episode of the Assembly at Heckfield Place podcast. You can find out more about the Assembly by visiting the Heckfield Place website and you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Heckfield underscore place and the hashtag Heckfield Place. Thanks for listening. <laughs>